This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. <laughs> These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello and welcome back to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Deck. As always, I am Doug Scott, joined by QB11 himself, Mr. Andrew. Almost Happy New Year. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm uh, currently sitting here. It's a beautiful Saturday afternoon. I'm watching uh, Florida State get baptized by Georgia. Um, <laughs> and just just happy to be alive, Doug. Yeah. Yeah. The Florida State team that should have been in the playoffs, I suppose. No, don't do that. That's so lame. That's such a casual take. Like they, you and I, both <laughs> I we know. had to go there. We had to go there. No, it's. I hate when people. No, do I know that what though, you're saying. I know what you're saying. It's not like, the same team. Not even not close the to the same team. Yeah, they have a lot. Of, they've had a, what twenty something opt outs. Yeah, they've had, like the, their whole team is opted out pretty much. Like, and then obviously, like I, I agree that they weren't a playoff caliber team without Travis, Jordan Travis. Uh, but my my point is that I I think that like this whole like well, this, this game doesn't tell us this, anything. This game doesn't change what Florida State was this year, in my in my no. in my opinion. No, I agree with you, and I I said something otherwise on Twitter, but I was mostly just you know stoking the flames on Twitter. But I I think more so what told me that I think the committee was right even leaving Florida State out was was their last two games before this one when they did have everyone but Jordan Travis and they just they weren't the same team and quite no. frankly I don't even think I mean they're a fringe top 10 team without Jordan Travis yeah I don't think they're a top 10 team but they're <clears throat> well, they're still good I mean they're dangerous it's just the quarter yeah. <clears throat> as has been obvious throughout both season I know we're gonna talk about this like quarterback play matters a lot um, and so it doesn't matter really how good of a football team you are. If you don't have good quarterback play, you, you don't look very good. I think the, the, one of the good things coming out of all the, the opt out era, if you will, and we'll see how that changes in a 12 team playoff model or how, or where, where it changes. But, you know, I think there's still, even up through last season, I think there's still been far too much, um, narratives put on like bowl records and you know first of all when you're talking about conferences and then and then even when you're talking about teams like oh this team won their bowl game last year or they won another game you know and it's like really like why are we doing this i think non-conference games games are more indicative of conference strength than totally excuse me yeah i really don't 
But what I really don't want to see going out, coming out of this season or going into next season is people trying to cite bowl game records for anything. Like what, if, if it hasn't been abundantly clear, talk about casuals, right? Over the last three or four years that these bowl games are, are just really exhibitions where you're playing young players, you're evaluating your talent, you're getting people reps, you know, you're going with who you got, like, and these, at least in most cases, at least one team's doing that, right? And in a lot of cases, both teams are. And so these games should not really count. And then they count. And I mean, honestly, they shouldn't probably count as far as records go. It's an exhibition game, but they certainly shouldn't be used as any sort of off-season evidence for why a team is, you know, getting better or getting worse or, or, you know, anything going into the next year at all. I mean, it really just depends on like who's playing and how much the game matters to them, right? Like the playoff games obviously are indicative. Um, yes. And like when you have teams that are like have a bunch of guys returning that are playing good football, that, that can be indicative too. Like, I, I think that we saw that with Ole Miss today. I think that we saw that with uh, Missouri, uh, I think that we've seen that with with a lot of teams over the years. I, I think back all the way to that Michigan State, that horrible Michigan State Oregon uh, Cheez-It Bowl that was played. But we we knew oh coming out of that game <laughs> that Oregon was going to be a pretty good team the next year because young guys were stepping up and making some plays. And I think that that Alamo Bowl that we lost to Oklahoma a few years back um, was a really good opportunity for guys like Troy Franklin and and some of the young guys on that team to make plays. So I just think that you you don't like instead of it's trying case by to. Case. Yeah, instead of trying to assign blanket value to bowl games and saying that, like, they mean that this conference or this team is really good and this conference or this team is really bad, just evaluate the teams based on where they're at and, and what they're expecting to get out of the bowl game. Because a lot of these teams are going to look completely different by the time fall rolls around. So, Yeah, I think you, you touched on the Ole Miss-Penn State game a little bit. I think that's a, a case where I thought both of those teams – you know, correct me if I'm wrong, we're fairly intact from regular season. We're fairly indicative of, of what they were for most of the year. And that was a, a out of so far out of, out of the three near six games that have been played. It's the only one that was even close to uh, what I would call the, the both teams looking mostly like they did the whole season. I mean, kind of, I mean, Penn state was down both of its starting corners and its best edge rusher and its best offensive tackle. So like those are those are pretty key pieces, right? Um, yeah. Did they have their quarterback? Like again, I it's bowl season. Everybody's missing something unless it's a playoff game. So um, that was that was in my opinion the best game, and I think it shows why uh, Ole Miss is a team that's definitely to be watched going into next year, and uh, with the improvements that they're looking to make out of the transfer portal on defense, could be a pretty <laughs> dangerous team in a playoff. Yeah, I mean, I I would be surprised if if they don't make a playoff next year. Between, I mean, their offense is mostly coming back. Like you said, they're adding a ton of really top end talent through the portal on defense, and they play uh, a fairly manageable schedule in the SEC next year. And with the twelve team playoff, I, I'd be really surprised. I mean, they go ten and two again; they're going to be in the playoffs. So um, it'll be interesting to watch them unfold next year. And you know, just kind of on a broader picture with the opt outs and stuff. You know, there's already people on Twitter, you know, talking heads on Twitter already fear-mongering about, well, just wait, we're going to start having opt-outs and playoff teams too. And I guess maybe, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not going to worry about that until it starts happening. I, I'd like to think that that would be pretty isolated if it does happen. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm trying to like. I'm thinking like, okay, if you're, I mean, certainly it wouldn't be a team like that, right? If like if you're one of the a Penn State or an Ole Miss or an Oregon or you know one of these teams that doesn't routinely make the playoffs, I would, I really wouldn't see a, a lot of opt outs or any opt outs from a team like that. I mean, maybe if you're a Georgia or an Alabama and you were expecting to win the whole thing and you lived into the playoffs at nine and three or something and got an 11 seed and you got, uh, you know, you're some I think guy as might long as there's the an opportunity five. to play for a championship and like, really like if you're in a 12 team playoff, you are playing for a championship, then you're not going to see opt outs, but it will, I hope, all I it, will not. it will continue to water down the rest of it'll continue to water down the rest of the bowl games even more. Because, like, right now, yeah. the New Year's Six kind of can sometimes keep teams mostly intact. Uh, it just, it's it's all player to player and team to team. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's, the New Year's Six has mostly been protected, but I, I think even over the last couple of years, we've seen, we've seen a lot more opt-outs even in those games. I mean, Oregon was pretty fortunate to only have a couple this year that we know of so far. I think there's a couple that might be more game time decisions, and but you, then conversely, you see, um, you know, I do think that that Florida State team, obviously, <laughs> you know, practically half their team opted out, so it varies. Yeah, it does. I I do think that the 12 team playoff, you know, and you know, coming onto the scene next year is probably a good thing because I do think that these these four other New Year Six games, I think, have have kind of worn out their welcome or the shine is the shine is off, you know, or something over the last, you know, it's been a 10 year. We've been in this two in the 14 playoff system for, I think this is year 11, year 10, year 10. So, you know, I think the, it's kind of played out and I think the change is needed. And I think I, I really ultimately think this is next year's going to be really exciting and, and all of these games are going to matter. And I think what you, what you said though is absolutely true is that, that, any, anything outside of those twelve teams, man, like forget about those games. Those are that now we're really talking about a clear separation between here's the here's the twelve teams that are playing for something, and everything else is just an exhibition. And I think that that I, I think the games that continue to do well outside of the playoff games are going to be the ones that have you know kind of like the Mayo Bowl or now the Pop Tart Bowl, right? They have some. They have some juice to them for reasons that are unrelated to anything about the teams that are playing. They're just well, a fun thing to do during the holidays. Or it's like teams that are happy to win six games that are like happy to be in a bowl game. Like they're like those teams exist too. Like that's why I think the more competitive games this bowl season were the earlier bowl games with like less talented teams. Whereas if you have guys with real NFL aspirations and in draft grade they're not going to risk it for one of these mid-tier bowl games. But if you have just good college football teams, which is what a lot of these like F- these G5 and, um, and, and lower-end Power 5 teams can have, then they'll, they'll, they'll play those games and they'll be competitive and they'll be fun to watch. Like I thought that that Boise State game was fun to watch. I thought Caltech Tech was a fun game to watch. So I don't know. I, I don't think all is lost. I think a lot of it is hyperbole and it's recency bias because there's been a lot of uncompetitive bowl games for a very long time. Like you have that is like, true. You have teams from very different conferences and leagues that end up with similar records. It doesn't mean they're similar quality. 
Yeah, or a lot of times the games don't even match up teams with similar records, you know, just because of the way the different conferences have different selection criteria um, as well. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about um, Oregon got a couple of more transfer portal commitments since we talked last QB. We'll talk about that. Then we'll, we'll go a little bit into the Fiesta Bowl matchup with Liberty. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about the playoff matchups after that. So let's start with um, Kobe Savage, the safety transfer from Kansas State. You know, I know you've watched some film on him. What do you, where does he fit in Oregon's defense and what do you like about him? Yeah. So he's, he's been a deep safety his entire career. I mean, he'll, he'll come up and, uh, and be an enforcer in the box or, or play some, some coverage as a nickel at times at Kansas State. But <laughs> primarily he's a deep safety and he's been really good at it. He's got good range. Um, really like the, the most easy and lazy comparison I can make is he's Evan Williams, but faster. I mean, he's a, he's a faster, more fluid version of Evan Williams and he's a, he's a really physical finisher. Um, he's a guy that can play sideline to sideline. He could run the alley. Uh, he's a very, he's a very consistent tackler in space. Um, he just kind of, he just kind of fills that like very like, versatile deep safety role um that Oregon wants so I think I think he'll probably end up playing in the boundary just like Evan Williams did last year and I I don't think it'll be much of a drop off in fact I think Oregon will get a little bit better in coverage of that position okay so you see him play more of the Evan Williams position and not the Steve Stevens position I mean he I think he has enough range to play both um based on skill set I think he's well, he's better than Steve Stevens at Steve Stevens' job too, but like he's more of a he's more of a boundary player. I think he likes to be in the run game. I think he's someone that you'd want to include in the box that you could rush um in, in your in your blitz packages. Um I, I just think he's he's a physical player and he's he's a player that likes to play downhill, so that fits his skill set a lot. But he does have the athletic talent to get over the top to play uh post safety coverages or 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 uh center field. So um well, we'll see. I, I he's going to start at one of the two safe, deep safety spots, and I, I think he'll be an upgrade at either one of them. So, um, it, overall, it's a big pickup. So, depending on that, so you've got him at one spot, and then obviously Tysheem Johnson. I think announced he's coming back for next season. Um, so presumably, you know, he he played mostly nickel this year. I think you know we've talked before. We both think that he might be better suited to play play back a little bit more and then obviously you're filling someone else in at at the nickel spot there do you, i mean do you see do you see taishim and kobe as as two locked in starters and then you're just trying to find the right third starter or i mean obviously there's always competition right i don't see taishim as a locked in starter at deep safety no and i i don't see him as a locked in starter at nickel i think i think he's more of a situational nickel player than he is a deep safety um like, is he someone that you want to play a lot of man coverage or get matched up and, and have to carry guys like it's man coverage in the slot? No. Was that what he did this year? Yes. But I also don't know that he has the range or the length to be super effective as a free safety. So um, I think I think there's going to be a lot of different moving parts this offseason at, at the two, at both star and safety, trying to figure out, like, who has the best best blend of range and athleticism deep, um, and then who can who can still be a physical presence in the run game, in the screen game, but also cover in the slot. So I, I think that we'll see a lot of Tyshim Johnson. I don't see his snaps diminishing too much, but I think that there are guys like Aaron Flowers, like um, 
like uh, Cole Martin, like Dale and Austin, who will chip away at some snaps and, and I think might be better cover guys at the deep safety spot. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. I, I also wouldn't be surprised if Oregon pursued another safety in the transfer portal. So um, I, like, I'm not, I'm not ready to pencil in anybody other than Kobe Savage as a starter at safety. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think, I, I think safety and nickel combined. If you look at the three spots, like you know, most of most of last season, particularly in the second half of the season, I mean, Evan Williams, Tyshin Johnson, and Steve Stevens were were all playing essentially 100 percent of the snaps. But I think you'd probably agree that you know like with the corners, like with the linebackers, like with the line, you'd probably like to see some amount of rotation there, right? So you're you're keeping a little more freshness on the on the field, but you gotta have guys that to Dan's words are above the line that are, you know, able to play to do that. And and I think I think Oregon though would probably benefit if your starters are playing seventy five or eighty percent of the snaps instead of a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's 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 benefit to rotating and keeping guys fresh, but there's also benefit to just upgrading at those spots and getting guys that can cover more ground um, because Oregon's safety coverage was probably the weakest part of the defense this year. Yeah, I mean, and and you saw it in the in the two losses to Washington. I think those were not fully on that, uh, but that was a key that was a key factor in both of those games. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be looking to get better everywhere, and I'm not. So I'm not just saying this is exclusive to safety, but. Um, I think safety is a spot where you you certainly like have probably the most room to improve, um, just from a talent and athleticism standpoint. And so I, I look forward to seeing what it looks like. And and, and maybe it is Taishim deep, maybe it's Taishim staying at star and one of the other players that we mentioned deep. Maybe there's somebody, um, I know there's been Oregon has been linked to some transfer portal players, uh, Johnson from Duke, uh, as well as Chapel from from AM. Um, and they both play kind of different spots. Johnson's more of a nickel. So who knows what, what it's going to look like. What, what do you guys like Colt Martin, Aaron Flowers, Dalen Austin, Kamari Terrell do this offseason in development? Can one of those guys step up and, and provide? They're all better athletes. So can they step up and become good enough players to give us good snaps at safety? Yeah, and I think we've talked about that position a lot, being one that that so so many years of misses on the recruiting trail have really left the um, left Oregon thin at that position in depth uh, of playable depth, as well as you know I think give credit to Dan and the staff for you know filling holes and 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 getting getting that getting those positions up to you know to playable right to competent. But I, I think what they're not at the same level of where they want, where they're going to want them to be, or, or hope them to be over the next couple of years, right? And I think, you know, it's progression. You can't usually, you can't make magic in in one off season. And we'll see. Maybe Taishim makes that step. Like he, like when he came in to me, it was okay. We now have confidence at the position. Like, is he a all everything playmaker? No. Can maybe he becomes a better player? Uh, but I think that if you're looking to go from competent to great. Then you're probably up up upgrading your athletic profile over that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, over that, over Evan, and over over Steve, all of those guys were were competent this year. But I I wouldn't you know, wouldn't call them elite elite at their positions. Yeah, like for context, like Kobe Savage breaks 21 miles an hour multiple times this season in games. None of our safeties broke 20. 
So like yeah. from just from a baseline explosiveness standpoint, like Kobe Savage is a better, he's a more explosive guy. Yeah, and that makes a big difference, obviously, when you're trying to carry coverage, you know, from one hash to the other or one set of numbers to the other. Yeah, going hash um, to sideline, hash to numbers, like like that that difference in explosiveness can be the difference between a completion or an incompletion. All right. You want to move on to the other acquisition? Sure. I think this is one that you are, like, way more equipped to talk about than me because it's your favorite position. And it's like one of the most <laughs> positions on important positions on the field. So I would never want to do it the disjustice of not allowing you to talk about. Uh, uh, actually, you know, that what the way you're describing is how I feel about punters, not kickers. Uh, but Oregon picked up a transfer commitment from Oregon State kicker, all all name team for sure on this guy. Like this guy should have been like a colonel in the in the British um like expeditionary force and like the revolutionary war or something like that. Oh, Atticus Sappington. Uh, it's just an excellent, excellent name. So Atticus Sappington. Does he make Sappington. kick? Well, he made 13 out of 14 field goals this year and I think 64 out of 65 extra points or something like that. So over two seasons, I think he's missed missed two field goals. Uh, he hasn't attempted any over 48 yards, but he's been pretty consistent in the in the 40 range, in the 40 to 45 range, 35 to 45 range, he's only kicked two kickoffs out of bounds. I think, uh, I think I saw, I think I read that, um, which was, has been a problem this year. Um, he's from Oregon state. As I mentioned, it does give Oregon options at, at competition at the kicker position. I think that's one thing we've seen with, uh, since Dan and staff have been here is every off season, they bring in a ton of kickers and punters and, and long snappers to compete for those jobs. And, and they will have, unless there's, you know, another transfer that we don't know about yet, Oregon will have three place kickers, actually four place kickers in camp. So they're, they have Andrew Boyle, who's uh, kick, who did kickoffs in 2022, sat out this whole year with an injury He's re- presumably returning next year. So he was the Washington State transfer from two seasons ago. They'll have Atticus Sappington. Um, they will have uh, Metters, Grant Metters. He's a kicker, uh, class of 23, high school kicker. Didn't He was on the team this year. Didn't I think he kicked a couple extra points here and there. Don't think he attempted a field goal. He kicked off a few times this year as well. And then they have the new incoming freshman kicker. I think he's out of Oregon, somewhere in the state of Westland, maybe. Um, Greg, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Hurich or something like that, H-R-U-Y-I-C-H. So there's a lot of competition for both kickoffs and and uh, field goal kicking as well out of those four guys or some subset of those four guys if some other offseason departures happen. But I think we've seen that's something that Oregon values and the special team spots is bring in a lot of guys and, and have them compete. So Atticus obviously is the one with the most game experience from a field goal kicking standpoint, presumably for bringing him in. He's, he's got the upper leg, so to speak on the competition, but um, I don't think he'll, he'll just be handed the job either. So we'll see what happens. That was really exciting stuff, Doug. I think, thank you for the analysis that you really just can't find anywhere else. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think we might, if we're the next time we're going to go in depth on special teams that we might need to bring in like, you know, a consultant. But you are, you are the consultant. You are the expert. I am the consultant. (laughs) I just know if I'm going to raid a third world country 
Attica Stoppington with his red coat <laughs> is the guy. <laughs> um, just by name alone, right? Like, you can set yeah. up a colony or something. I don't know. We're probably getting too political. But uh, no, he's got a great name. And uh, he, he had a lot of success at Oregon State. And now he gets to come to, you know, the the premier program in the state. So it's a step up at competition level for him. And like, good for him for being able to do that. Agreed. All right. Shall we talk about this Liberty Festival game? Sure. I, I, we have to. So. I'm excited. I got tickets to the game today, Doug. I know. I'm excited you're going. I was. I was gonna give you some crap if you didn't go. Honestly, it's like I was just waiting to see how cheap the, the tickets road. would get. <laughs> yeah, how cheap did they get? Very cheap. I got like really good tickets for like sixty-seven dollars a piece on like forty-yard line bottom deck. So nice. Um, yeah, yeah. I was like, I well, I just knew that like. No disrespect, but I knew Liberty wasn't going to travel well. I, they don't have a large alumni or fan base to begin with. I know that Oregon fans aren't especially excited to spend a bunch of money to come down to Arizona and watch this game against this team. And so I knew the demand and supply of tickets would move in a certain way, and they did. And the tickets I got would probably have been four times the cost when they first announced the game. Yeah, it's the, the Liberty matchup I know has been disappointing for a lot of Oregon fans and um, you know, it is what it is. You can't, you know, get a pick your matchup. I think what's been so impressive to me is how the program and the players have handled it, right? Like this is a, an opportunity where, especially with, with a lot of guys who are definitely going to the NFL out of eligibility, you know, looking to move on that easily could have opted out of this game, right? It's Liberty. It's not, we're not playing Ohio state. We're not playing Missouri, you know, uh, but you know, led by Bo, um, but also Brandon Dorless and, uh, Bucky Irving and a lot of I'm probably missing some names a lot of other guys are, are going to play in this game and I think that's really a testament to the culture that that Dan and company have built here right and that and you know in Bo's interview you know Matt I think Matt asked him the question yesterday is like you know what went into making this decision and Bo's answer was it wasn't even a decision right and that's just how Bo's wired and I think I think a lot of the guys on this team really feel like hey one more ride we want to we want to go out you know we want to go out with a win we don't want to go out with the, the way that last game ended and um but again I think that just comes back to the culture that that Dan is building here and the program that, that they have that, that um, most of these guys are playing not all of them there's a couple that opted out and I don't blame any of them um for doing that so I, I'm excited about the way the teams to be approaching it though and like this they're not taking it for granted they're not just mailing it in they're they're going through the work and they're they're doing their jobs and they're going to approach it like they approach every other game. And so for that reason, I kind of expecting this one to be a blowout. Um, yeah. So anybody that was surprised at Bo playing in this game should think back here to when he played in the holiday bowl, which is a much lesser game. Um, so I was hurt too. Yeah. While he was definitely not healthy. So, um, he's healthy. I'm, I'm glad he's playing in this game. I thought it was, Bucky was one that I was surprised that he played. Um, it seems that Jordan Birch is returning to school and he's going to play. Uh, the, so the, the big guys that you're missing are Jalil Florence, Kyrie Jackson. Uh, sorry, to sneeze. Popo Amave and um, Jackson Powers Johnson on offense and Troy Franklin. So there, there's certainly still some guys that matter that aren't playing in this game, whether because of injury or opting out to get ready for the draft. Um and so it's going to create some opportunities for some young guys to play. And what I hope is that what we saw in that um, in that 
uh, Alamable, despite the loss, uh, where we saw some young players kind of take step forward, steps forward and emerge as as future playmakers that you could count on. Or like last year, what we saw with, with Josh Connerly with the tackle opt-outs um, continues and that we see young guys um, step into larger roles and 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 play good snaps and uh, give future promise. So in terms yeah, of... let's go. Let's... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. We could talk about that like a little bit position by position that you named. I mean, obviously with Troy opting out, you know, and I'm not sure the status of um, of Gary Bryant, but, you know, certainly Treshawn Holden, it sounds like is going to have an increased role in this game. And and then obviously the jury on Dickey is the other one we're hearing about a lot in these last couple of weeks and just how he's he's potentially going to play uh, a substantial role and a substantial number of snaps in this game and get an opportunity to kind of springboard himself into next season. Yeah, whether it's Holden, whether it's Dickey, whether it's Casper, um, somebody in the wide receiver room is going to be playing more snaps than they're they're accustomed to playing uh, with a really good quarterback, and so that's exciting. Um, the whole offensive line is playing, Bo's playing obviously, and um, with Dante Dowdell leaving, I think that if this goes down the depth chart a little bit further, just you're going to get more snaps for someone like Jaden Lamar. So offensively, there's going to be opportunities. It would not surprise me to see a player like. Um, a player like Kenyon Sadiq have a, have an, an improved role in this game because um, some of these guys are guys that had roles anyways this season, um, and as you know, like you get 15 bowl practices, it's like another spring ball. So there, there's there's a lot of developmental opportunity if it's taken, um, and, and if there's anything I know about the staff uh, of coaches is that they 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 want to get guys above the line, so to speak. So. Um, even at positions where there haven't been opt-outs, I still anticipate that we see deeper rotations and guys get opportunities in this game. Well, and especially if it does get out of hand, you're going to see, uh, you know, second and third unit guys getting into the game like has happened, you know, frequently this year with a lot of blowouts. And yeah, you mentioned uh, on the offensive line, if, if Jackson Paris Johnson not playing, I know Poncho, who played a ton this year at guard, is going to get a chance uh, most likely at center. You know, so if he's the presumed center going into next year, he gets the whole game to snap you know, live real game actions. And, and that's going to be hugely beneficial to him. And that, that obviously gives, you know, uh, someone a chance to to step into that starting lineup at, at the guard spot, whether that's a veteran like a Strother or whether it's a younger guy like a Dave Ayuli or something. We'll, we'll kind of see how that works out. Yeah. And so like to me, like bowl games like this, that's what's most exciting to me is, all right, so like there's really not a lot left to pay play for in this season. And I know the guys are going to be excited to go out there and leave a lasting impression. And the guys that are on their way out, like Bo and Bucky, are going to play with tremendous pride. But this is also like a platform and an opportunity to stage for these young guys to really announce themselves as future, like major players on this team. So um, I'm, I'm excited about that. And there's going to be a lot of those opportunities on offense. I think at corner on defense is another spot because you have no Kyrie Jackson, you have no Jalil Florence. Triquest Bridges is already transferred out. So beyond Manning and Reed, it's Pleasant and Hill. Um, or not Hill. Um, oh, Davis, Solomon Davis. So there's going to be yeah. some opportunities for some young guys in the defensive backfield as well. Um, nose tackle, no popo, but there's so many upperclassmen. I still think that's going to be tough. But maybe you do see Terrence Green or Mario Washington get more steps and or snaps and um, maybe a guy like Jerry Mixon, a linebacker, gets to play more, and you never know. Maybe Johnny Bowens or Ashton Porter, or some of these other guys, get, get to see get on the field a little bit. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to in this game, um, regardless of outcome. Um, close win, close loss, blowout win, blowout loss. 
uh, I anticipate that the rotations are going to go deeper and we're going to see some players that we probably haven't seen as much um, this year. So I'm excited. I'm excited for that aspect of this game. Yeah, you mentioned uh, one position I want to talk about corner. It reminded me of another aspect we haven't talked about. So, you know, uh, last season we saw Oregon get, I think, one player, Tyler Turner. There might have been a second one that I don't recall was able to come in early after signing day and and practice in some of those bowl practices a year ago. And it it is amazing how many players from this signing class that just signed, you know, that we talked about, what, 10 days ago, were at bowl practices for Oregon this year. I mean, it was, I think, in double digits, which so is we, an incredible, incredible number. And, and Dakota Fields picked off Bo Nix in a practice, like, you know, second or third practice, uh, you know, as basically somebody who's halfway through his senior year of high school uh, and, and, you know, just an example. But all 10 of those guys, you know, however many there were being at practices for these bowl preps, it's like, and then they're going to come back in January and get the whole offseason load and the whole spring ball and the whole summer. I mean, what a huge advantage for those players and for Oregon. Yeah, so for the, like, I think it's like eight guys, but for like the eight or nine guys that are on campus for these practices, it's awesome. But the fact of the matter is, is that like 20 guys are showing up in January. Um, and so that's where like the real development starts. They get their first taste of a college weight room and, and strength and conditioning program. Um, but yeah, like last last year it was Cole Martin, it was Tatum Tuioti, and it was Tyler Turner. And this year, Luke Moga was out there. Elijah Rushing is out there. Dakota Field was out there, um, among other guys. I think Dylan Gresham uh, is another one. Like there, there was a whole there's a whole flock of guys out there that are getting good practice reps and getting their first college exposure. And again, every one of those opportunities, um, in addition to spring, in addition to the summer offseason program um, and, and winter training is opportunities for development so i, I hopefully those guys take this opportunity and it uh, it gets them kick-started and gets them a little boost into their uh their college transition yeah i mean there's there's a lot of talent in this class and there's there's jobs to be won for next season too so you know those opportunities are going to be there for sure let's pivot over and talk about the game a little bit talk about liberty a little bit i mean this team obviously they are what 13 and 0 on the season uh, they have, they played the uh, weakest schedule in the entire FBS, 133rd ranked schedule out of 133 teams. Uh, they did not play a single Power 5 opponent all year. Um, they did win all their games. If you kind of go through it, you know, they had some blowouts, but they also had a lot of fairly close games. They, played, they beat Bowling Green by 10. Uh, just kind of going through here. They, they beat Sam Houston by less than a touchdown. Middle Tennessee State was 42-35. Western Kentucky, 42-29. Uh, so they score a lot of points, but they also give up a lot of points. UMass, 49-25. Um, you know, and then New Mexico State in the title game, 49-35. So they were 13-0, 8-0 in conference, but really hard to gauge considering how poor of a schedule they played. Yeah, yeah, they... Um... I, I watched, I tried to watch tape on Liberty and I was having a hard time taking anything away. I mean, they first and foremost, they run a super awesome and unique offensive system. Um, it's like, it's kind of like triple, but it's out of gun. And obviously there's been a lot of changes to the rules in regards to cut blocks over the years. So they've had to get a lot more creative and it's, it's a really fun and well-designed offense and run game. Um, and it's a, it's a run game that's 
enhanced by a really explosive pass game. So they, uh, when you look down their stat sheet, they've got like four receivers that average 19 yards or more a catch, or five guys, sorry. Um, and it's because it's pretty much a triple, triple or extended triple run game and then a super vertical passing game off the back of it. So they're they're a fun, they're a fun group to watch offensively. They've got a really explosive runner, a quarterback in Kane Salter. He's a pretty solid passer. But the question is, it's like, okay, well, how are they going to match up on the front on either side of the ball? And it's like, I don't have any really good film to look back on um, that is going to give me any indication one way or another what it's going to look like when they line up against us because they haven't even played a Power 5 team, let alone a good or high-end Power 5 team from a talent standpoint. Yeah, I was going to mention Caden Salter. He threw for 2,700 yards, 31 touchdowns, five picks. He also ran for 1,000 yards. Uh, seven yards to carry, 12 touchdowns on the ground. So, you know, he's obviously a very dynamic playmaker. Um, you know, you mentioned the receivers as well, and obviously they got some running backs who, who get stuff done in the running game with their, like you said, kind of unique offensive style. And it is fun to watch, and I guess that's something to take from this game. You know, if you're Oregon and you're coming here to what you're an Oregon fan coming around, you know, Liberty, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? It's it's a chance to see a different style of offense you probably don't get to watch very much, and, and that could be kind of, Kind of fun and 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 interesting to watch, but I think you know to me it feels like I mean I'd be shocked if Oregon isn't going to dominate the lines on on both sides of the ball. And to me, where if there's any danger of this being a game or, or you know Oregon being in a battle here, it feels like it would come on you know broken plays or missed assignments on defense on Oregon's defense, yeah. right? So you you got. Guys, you know, like you said, corner corner depth is deep. So if you got guys who are missing their reads or getting, you know, I don't know, say out tricked or something, but you know, those kind of things, misdirection, misreads or something, where all of a sudden somebody's running wide open, that seems like the best opportunity for for Liberty to 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 be able to put up a lot of points in this game. I don't think they can just line up and you know, uh, you know, beat Oregon straight up. Well, this isn't this isn't a team that is going to try to line up and beat you straight up, right? They're going to beat you on edges and angles. And so, like, this is going to be a game where your defensive rules are challenged. Your discipline is going to be challenged in regards to, like, the way that you uh, the way that you fit in the run game, the way that you take on blocks, the way that your eye discipline is in the back half of the defense for misdirection stuff because they have so much eye candy and misdirection built into the offense, and they've got they, – they do have good explosive players offensively. And so – they will like if you if you blow a coverage or if you blow a run fit or if you lose if you're a if you're a, a backside defender and you lose your eyes in the backfield and you get out out leveraged in the in the misdirection game like they they can score points and so I I think that Liberty will will find its way into the end zone a couple times in this game I don't see despite Oregon's massive talent advantage I, I don't see Oregon like shutting them down completely offensively because this is a unique unique system that we haven't really seen anything like this year. Um, and it's really hard to replicate in practice, uh, at least at least with the the level of efficacy that they run it with. So, um, I'm I'm ex- I'm excited to see how this plays out. I I think that Oregon will win. I think that Oregon will score pretty much as many points as they want to score offensively. I don't see any way that Liberty matches up with Oregon um, on the defensive side of the ball. But where I w- I am interested to see how the matchup plays out is Oregon's defense against this offense because. Oregon's going to be playing a lot of young guys in the front seven and in the secondary, and there's a, they're going to be seeing a lot of things for the first time in this game, and how they respond to that. How do they how do they tackle in space? How do they um, do they stay square and stay in their gaps, or do they allow their eyes to get happy and and give up some stuff? 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I kind of agree with you on the other side of the ball. It's hard to imagine. I mean, Oregon's offensive line is, you know, has been so dominant all year long and feels like, and then the, with the way Bo executes the offense, even without Troy out there, right? Like it, it just feels like, well, I mean, it, it feels like it'd be a significant mismatch on that side of the ball. I mean, Liberty's pretty small defensively. Like they, they're starting, they're guys that played primary snaps. Um, Bush at, at, at edge is a freshman who's 6'2", 255. Artie, a junior at defensive tackle, is the largest by quite a bit at 6'3", 300. Dixon, the other defensive tackle, is 6'1", 270. And uh, Basil, the other edge, is uh, 6'1", 250. So they don't have very good length. They don't have very good size. Um, Oregon has not always been able to just like blow teams off the ball with power this year. Um, based on size, I would expect that Connerly and Cornelius probably have some of their most favorable matchups since like the early preseason when we were playing teams like Hawaii and Portland State. So I, I, th- I think Oregon will be able to run the ball if Bucky's healthy and, and full go and Jordan James is healthy and full go. I think the run game will work. Oh, was going to run this offense at a super high level. And frankly, like the athlete, the athlete on athlete matchup in the back seven versus Oregon skill players for Liberty is just not a matchup that I'm sure any of their coaching staff is comfortable with. So with it, with, with a veteran quarterback who's played so much ball, who wants to go out with a good performance. I don't see how Oregon doesn't score in the forties in this game at a minimum. Yeah. I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if that wasn't the case. Um, do you think we see Austin Novosad in this game at some point? Yeah, I do. I, I think Oregon yeah. will separate late. I but I do think that like I think that Liberty, especially on scripts, might put together a drive or two. Like I like it's not I would love I would love to not have to deal with that because I'm sure the trolling will be crazy and everyone will be saying, Oh, Oregon can't stop Liberty. But like the this like this is a challenging system and scheme and I think specifically early on when you don't, I'm sure they're going to throw the kitchen sink at us. Like this is a big opportunity for them and Jamie Chadwell and that staff are good coaches. Like they're creative, good offensive coaches and they do have some weapons like Caden Salter's legs are a real weapon. Um, I think that Oregon's defense will be the fastest unit they've seen this year. will be the biggest and strongest unit that they've seen this year. Um, but you still got to get yourself in the right position and make the play. So uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see how we come out defensively in the first couple drives. Well, I mean, Oregon's defense has been been burned, you know, this year, earlier in the year, mostly by running quarterbacks. So, you know, it certainly is an area where Oregon has been susceptible at times this year. And and, and Liberty ran the ball for almost 4,000 yards on the season. They had 642 rushing attempts uh, to, to, to 279 passing attempts. So almost two to one rushing to passing ratio, but almost 4,000 yards on the ground. Like, that's an insane number. Um, I don't care. You are led by their running back, Quentin Cooley, 1,300 yards and, and 16 touchdowns. So they also average six yards a clip. Again, they haven't faced a defense with this level of athlete at Oregon has. So I certainly don't expect their numbers to hold up against Oregon, but they can do damage. Like you said, they it is a system that you're not used to playing. Yeah. Agreed. Um, anything more on this game? No, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's really hard. Like, I don't... It's tough to scout and like to predict how these teams will play out. It's just to me, it's very clear. Oregon has quite a uh, substantial talent differential going in their favor on this one. Yeah. Uh, so the line, I believe, is what seventeen and a half or so. Oregon cover doesn't cover. Uh, I think Oregon covers. I think Oregon wins something like 
55 to 20. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I'm with you. I think Oregon will cover this game as well. I, I, I think, uh, and we'll get a lot of, uh, my only, my only worry would against covering would be, you know, some sort of backdoor situation where you're playing a lot of young guys, empty the bench in the game and late in the game at Liberty, you know, get, puts a couple late scores on the board to cut the final margin, but you know, whatever. All right, let's move on to, I wanted to talk about the, the, we've talked a little bit about some of the New Year's six games already, but we'll just recap the the three that have already happened. And then we can talk about the, the two playoff games. So um, just ended Georgia beat Florida state 63 to three. I think we talked about that a little bit. I don't know. There's much to take away from this game, uh, but it was 49 to three at the half. Um, both teams had a lot of opt outs, particularly Florida state, but uh, you know, Georgia did Georgia things. Yes, they did. They, uh, they looked like a murder saw. Um, or a buzzsaw, and there was nothing that Florida State could do, and Florida State was down so many players, and Georgia is just that much better than most teams. And so um, regardless of if you are healthy or not, or if you have all of your guys, Georgia can do that to you. And if you don't have all your guys and aren't healthy, Georgia really can do that to you. So um, great performance by Georgia. They will be one of the top two or three teams in the country once again next year, um, and and uh, they are not going anywhere. No. No, they're not going anywhere I don't know, ever <laughs> for the foreseeable future. I mean, as long as Kirby's still there, like what there's no reason he's not going to be there for a long, long time. Um, they're just going to keep, they're going to keep rolling. The death machine is going to keep rolling. doesn't mean they're going to win the title every year, but they're going to be one of those, one of those two or three best teams at the start of every season for as long as you can look into the future. Agreed. All right. Uh, game earlier today, Ole Miss, Penn State, 38-25. You know, I think we talked about this a little bit as well, but, you know, Jackson Dart, almost 400 yards, three touchdowns. I think you picked on those missing corners that you mentioned uh, earlier. How do you kind of see, you know, I think we talked a little bit about how this buoys Ole Miss going into the offseason, especially with their transfer portal hall. You know, what does this mean, if anything, for Penn State? I mean, it, it's, you know, 10-3, and three, lost to Michigan, lost to Ohio State, lost a bowl game to another top-10 team. You know, is Penn State under Franklin? Is this pretty much their peak? Can they can they find a way? Like it seems like every year, can they take the next step next year, and and then they end up right back where they were the year before? Yeah, I mean the, the thing is, offensively they need to get right, and what I mean by that is they need to be able to throw the ball. And they they I don't know that they completed a single pass to a wide receiver today. Um, Aller had a pretty horrible game, but to be honest with you, watching it, they didn't make anything easy for him. Like there's, there's no open guys. There's no uncontested balls. They, they don't seem to get a lot of separation at receiver. The offense, like they, they, they fired their offensive coordinator. They've been running the same system because you can't install a new system mid season, um, or late season. Like, I think they made a good offensive coordinator hire, uh, with the, with the Kansas offensive coordinator. They need to bring in some talent at wide receiver, both um, through prep and portal, um, to upgrade that room. And they need Drew Aller to start just gripping and ripping because right now he's thinking way too much and everything's late. Um, and he hasn't been as accurate. Like he's got all the talent in the world, but they got to help him with system and they got to help him with talent. And then he's got to just start letting it go. Um, so I, I don't know. Like the, the question, uh, like what is Penn State going to be? TBD. Like they're going to be really good defensively yet again next year. Those young corners will benefit from the reps that they got in this game against a really good passing game from Ole Miss. Uh, but it's going to like any improvement is going to have to come on the back of the um, Penn State offense. 
Yeah, I, I do. I do agree with you. That, yeah, I agree with you that I think on paper the Kansas hire, the Kansas OCR looks like a good one, but I, I think that's the path to to their improvement because defensively, they're they got everything they need to compete at a very high level. They just they got to be able to score more points on offense. Let's move over to the Cotton Bowl. Um, not a classic in my mind, but Missouri beats Ohio State fourteen to three. This game, Ohio State put up 203 total yards. Missouri had 330. The teams combined to go 6 of 31 on third down. It was definitely a game. I don't know whether you want to say it was great defense, bad offense, or probably some of both, but uh, Missouri wins 14 to 3. And they're another team that, you know, kind of on the rise right now, along with Ole Miss. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, this one was tough because to me, watching the game, Ohio State was the better team, but again, like if you can't throw the ball, it's tough to win. It's tough to score against good teams. And Missouri, like when once Devin Brown got hurt really early in this game, and they went to kind holes, and like at no point was anything in the offense for or in the passing game, even the quick game, remotely consistent or reliable for Ohio State. And so it very quickly became a a game of overloading the box, tons of numbers, playing aggressive one gap penetrating defense, and it just they just sat on the Ohio State run game. And then it was like, okay, well, in order for Ohio State to win this game, there's going to need to be a defensive touchdown where Ohio State's going to have to hold Missouri to zero points for four quarters. And that's just too much to ask against a team as good as Missouri with their starting quarterback, with all of their key skill players playing. That, that was never that was never a viable option. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I still think Ohio State's an insanely good football team. Um, but... This was a brutal game to watch. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was that indeed. Uh, yeah, fourteen to three again. Ohio State's they're they're not going anywhere. You know, Missouri. I mean, these are two teams that could both easily be in the playoffs next year as well as we get to a twelve team playoff model. So, um, you know, I kind of think if you look through, you know, you look through the top eleven from this year, right? I mean, you know, you got Michigan. Washington, Bama, Texas, Ohio State, Georgia, Oregon, Missouri, Ole Miss, Penn State. Like, I mean, <laughs> you're, those are pretty much teams that are most of those teams that I just named are going to be annually right there in the playoff conversation as we come into, you know, mid to late November every single year, right? Whatever random order, the order will be different every year, right? But in a 12 team playoff, Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama are never missing a playoff ever. Nope. <laughs> like, I mean, no. And watching them, like they have, like the one of the biggest advantages that they had over Missouri was their just insane receiver talent, and like they had no way of activating that and getting them involved in the game. And so, I and that I, was a problem for them this whole season. Yeah, and I I thought that like with Devin Brown healthy in this game, I thought that it would at least be as good as it was with Kyle McCord, if not a little better. But the second that Devin Brown left, it was clear that not only were they not able to throw the ball, like they weren't able to throw the ball even a little bit. I mean, am I crazy to think, because I agree with you about Ohio State, like if you put, I don't even want to say C.J. Stroud, like I mean, you put a top 10 level quarterback on this team, on this year's team, I I think they win it. I think they win the whole thing. I think they were one quarterback away. Maybe, yeah. I mean, they, they. I don't think this. This Maybe is definitely. Georgia, but this is definitely not one of their it. better offensive lines either. I mean, that's the other thing is the the offensive line this year was one of the worst that they've had in quite a while. So it was a mixture of quarterback and O line play. Um, but 
Like, I think a quarterback would have covered up a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. All right, let's talk about the playoff games. Let's start with uh, Bama-Michigan um, in the Rose Bowl. I think Bama is a slight favorite in this one, a couple points. Um, we don't have to talk about, you know, Michigan's points. Michigan's a one-and-a-half point favorite. But Michigan's a one-and-a-half point favorite. Um, yeah, kind of how do you see this game playing out, and who do you think wins it? Forget the spread. Who do you think wins? Uh, not to cop out, but, like, whichever one of these quarterbacks can produce – more explosive plays through the passing game than the other because I, I don't think that Michigan's going to be able to just line up and hammer this thing out on the ground like they want to um, and I don't think that Alabama's going to be able to do the same thing either so like between Milrow and McCarthy and between the Ohio- Alabama receivers and the Michigan receivers who's going to be able to make more plays um, I, I think that the Alabama secondary is better and I think that the Alabama wide receiver core is better and so I favor them and I think that if Jalen Milrow can get active um, in the run game as well, I think that Alabama is going to find a way to win this game. So I, I like Alabama in this one. Yeah, I do too. And I think all the reasons you, you said it way better than I could have, but I do trust Milrow, crazy as that sounds, I do trust him more to to make those plays. And I do think the extra the extra component that he has that uh, that J.D. McCarthy doesn't have is the is using the feet, right? And having an extra runner in the run game could be a huge factor in this game. As you said, I think I think the it's going to be tough sledding for both teams to run, but having that extra man could be the difference maker. And and I think also from a throwing perspective, I think Milrose gotten a lot better uh, throughout the course of the year on that and that front as the season wound down. I thought he got um, you know both more explosive and more consistent you know, toward the end of the season as a passer. Uh, and not to say I think that he's, you know, fully formed there, right? But I think he can do enough um, in that part of the game for the reasons you mentioned. So I also I also like Alabama to win this one. Well, and as I, I think it's going to be these, pretty overpowering. When I look at these two teams, I think that Bama is the team that benefits from the 30 days off the most because they were the far more banged up team this year. Like getting a player like Jaheim Otis, the, the nose tackle back healthy, when he really hasn't been healthy this entire season, like that, like that is a massive difference for Alabama when that guy is full go. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see, but I, I definitely uh, tend to favor Bama in this one with 30 days to get healthy and prepared. And uh, I think that the, they have the more dynamic quarterback. All right, so let's go from a game that I think will be relatively low scoring to one that could be a bit of a shootout in Washington and Texas in the Sugar Bowl. Um, how do you see this one playing out, and, and who do you like to win it? I don't have a damn clue. Um, <laughs> it, I agree with you. Like, I think these teams are both going to score. If you ask me who's the better football team, I'd say Texas, but I've said that about uh, Washington a couple times this year, and I haven't been right yet. So, um Washington has like the trump card. They've got the passing game. We've talked about it in two different previews against Oregon this year. We've seen Oregon get close. I do think that one element of Texas's offense that is substantially better than Oregon is the vertical passing game. And if Quinn Ewers, Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, and Jatavian Sanders can create some vertical explosives in this game early, I think that that is going to put them in a position to to like win this game. And I think they in that in that situation, they might even be able to win it convincingly. But they 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 have to continue to take shots and push vertical. Don't let don't let 
Washington play coming forward defensively. Like keep them back, keep them off balance. I think that I think that Sark with 30 days to get ready for somebody is one of the most dangerous play callers in all of the sport. Uh, and I think that he's got a fully like equipped arsenal of skill players to to take Washington to task for some of the things that they got away with this year. So uh, I'm I'm gonna take Texas another favor by four and a half. I wouldn't take them to cover. I'd take them to win. I do think this will be a close game because every Washington game, no matter how good the opponent is, is close. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. You know, if you look at the four playoff teams, and so you divide that into eight units, offensive defense for both, Washington's defense, statistically, analytically, Washington's defense is the the worst rated of, of the eight units in the playoffs. Um, however, they they have been... They've risen to the occasion in in the biggest moments on, on both sides of the ball, right? And we and we saw that again in the two Oregon games. We saw their offense make plays when needed, but we also saw their defense make plays when needed. And they've done that in other games this year. Arizona State game, they you know pick six to to win that game that they probably should have lost. And and we saw that. I'm, I'm not even remembering. Oh, it's a Stanford game. I think we saw something similar there. And the Oregon State game, right? So the, even though they they have they aren't overall a very good defense, they seem to have a knack for making plays at the right times, um, you know. But they are they have been a team that that can be can be had with the right attack, and I think Texas, as you mentioned, has that attack that has watched has given Washington a lot of problems this year, right? You know the. Uh, uh, a dynamic passing game, vertical passing game. We, a lot of teams have have used that very successfully against Washington this year, and I think Texas is is better at that than a lot of those teams that have done it well already <laughs> this year against them. So I I agree with you. I think, and I also think on the Texas's offensive line in the run game has a, a real advantage against Washington. I think is respectable against the run, but not great against. The, I don't think they're elite against the run. Well, yeah, and and so, I think that yes. Texas's offensive line is more equipped for displacement than Oregon's was this year. Like at tackle, Kelvin Banks is a much more powerful player than than Josh Connolly was or is. Um, and I think that they're probably a little bit better at guard than than Oregon was this year. So I I I like this like for Texas's offense. I love this matchup, but it's like what yeah. version of Quinn Ewers are we going to get? Um, and like, is it I really do work? think it comes down to how he <clears> plays. Right, and on that is side Xavier Worthy going to shave points by dropping touchdowns like he did last time against Washington? Yeah, I mean so, he dropped two in that game last year in that elbow bowl, I think it was. Yeah, um, but on the other side of the ball, I, I, I don't think Washington's going to be able to run for very no, much. No, uh, they're not. And I know they're, that's been something they've they've done down the stretch of the season. Now we saw it in the in the conference title game. They did it against Oregon State. Um, they certainly did it against USC. And that became a, a real weapon of theirs, you know, to close the season when they needed it. Um, and, and but not in this game. I, I mean, their running game, I think, is going to get shut down. And and at least when we've seen their offense struggle, it's when it's become when they're behind the sticks, right? Like when they're when they're like, a third and long constantly. That's when that's when Penix tends to make mistakes and uh, and it, you know get picked off. And they, you go back to the conference title game. Washington only had three third and longs the entire game, and one of them ended up in a in a pick in an interception. One of them ended up in an incompletion, and and I think the third one wasn't a positive either, right? So, I think if if they're able to if Texas is able to stop Washington's run game or really severely limit Washington's run game, then I think that forces Washington to become one dimensional. That 
as you mentioned, that one to mention is really, really good. But I think the addition, the addition, I, I think they're, I think they have to be two dimensional or I think Texas is going to be able to, to make some plays on defense. Yeah. hundred percent. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. Um, so I'm with you. I'm going to pick one. I'm going to pick Texas to win this game. I, I tend to think they'll cover. I think they'll win by a touchdown, maybe 10 points. But I don't know, man. Washington just has that, like, they're just that team this year that they just can't get put down. They just, <laughs> I, I, I joking, jokingly said, like, I, they think they made it some sort of deal with the devil, and I want to know when it expires because, I mean, this team easily could have lost three games this year, and they won every one, and they won kind of in, in all kinds of different ways. And probably, probably, right, like, you know, they, their offense doesn't score a touchdown against Arizona State and they win. They put it, you know, they have to put up 40, 50 against USC to win that game. And then, you know, they, they got to get two fourth down stops late against Oregon to win that those two games. It's just, they've won improbably in every way imaginable. And it just feels like, are they just one of those like team of destiny things? Do I even believe in that? Probably not, but it, they have that feel to them. And so I'm going to pick Texas, but. Well, so I'm not, let's, not let's actually, <laughs> let's, yeah, I'm not betting on this game. So who's D, who's Texas' defensive coordinator, Doug? Well, Pete Kajkowski, former Washington like, D, yeah, DC. Yeah, Coach K. And what is his, like, thing defensively? Like, what's his MO? Well, he forces everything short, makes you drive the field. Yep, exactly. That's what that's what Texas is going to do here. And they have extraordinary length and talent on the interior of the defensive line, the stuff, some of the stuff that Washington got away with in the Pac-12 title game just won't work just because of the bodies that exist there. I don't think Texas is going to have a ton of, they're going to be able to put a ton of pressure on Penix. But what I do think is that they're going to be able to play coverage, play deep, keep things in front, and make Washington earn it. And, and they're going to have to earn it in, in second and third and long situations because I don't see Washington being able to sustain an efficiency run game here. So I, yeah. I think I think and, Texas and, has more ways to win this game. I think Texas is the better team, but like you said, like Washington's got some weird thing with them this year where it doesn't really matter if they're the better team or not. They they find ways to get things done. So um and that's credit to them and their coaching staff and the player that Michael Penix is. I'm sure he'll make some plays in this game, but I I think that Texas is there's enough of a gap there. Yeah, I, it, so the way you describe that sounds, you know, that's a lot like Arizona attacked Washington earlier this season, right? I think it was the week before the bye, week before the Oregon game. Arizona basically played that, keep everything in front, uh, make Washington drive the field, and Washington was able to do it enough. I mean, that game was fairly close, um, and and I, you know, if they, Washington was able to do enough in that game, though, but Arizona's defense is like nowhere near the level that Texas, and again, Texas is not necessarily elite, especially in the passing defensive game, but their their line play and their rushing defense is elite. It's the best in the country. So uh I think that is a that is a different a different aspect to this game. So I I like Texas. I like Texas to win this. I don't know how much of that is me wanting Texas to win it versus actually believing they will, but I'm gonna go with Texas. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm gonna take Texas too. All right, QB. I think that's all we have for today. Um, we'll be back, I guess, to talk about Oregon's game and these playoff games uh, next week sometime. Until then, I hope you have a happy new year and enjoy the game. You as well, Doug. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks.